change. Do you have a reaction just hearing the word? You feel a little knot starting to form in your stomach at just the sound of the word change? If so, it's not unusual with the amount of change we all have to deal with every day. Change itself gets to be exhausting. Maybe you can relate to the words of the Duke of Cambridge back in the 1800s. He said, any change at any time for any reason is to be deplored. (laughs) It's like uh, the old saying, the only one who ever cries to be changed is a baby. I know that firsthand. I was over Christmas babysitting my grandson Gio for a few hours while people were away. He started whimpering a little bit, and I thought, "Mm, I wonder if he needs a change. I checked the diaper. He needed the change, and then I cried. (laughs) (laughs) We all face lots of change all the time. It's a part of life that we have to get used to, and in this, in this world of ours right now, the pace of change is absolutely incredible. I learned a lot about change impact at my last church before coming here. The church I served before that, I had been 13 years at a congregation in the rural parts of the mountains of North Carolina. Fairly slow pace of life, not very stressful, or at least you know, not in many outward ways. Uh, Life was pretty predictable. This was pre-texting days, pre-social media. And the church I served was pretty tolerant of a lot of change. They allowed us to experiment a lot in worship, and boy, did we. We introduced technology in worship. We were always changing the order of worship around, putting new elements in. People didn't like everything we did. I remember people going out of worship sometimes and say, you know, Rob, would you please not do that again? (laughs) But they did it politely, and, and on the whole, there was this appreciation for bringing some creativity. So I go from that church to a church in the area of Charlotte, North Carolina, much more urban, younger, people using technology at a much higher level, And I thought to myself, boy, this congregation is really going to be ready to do things different. That statement ranks right up there with the famous last words of a redneck. Watch this. (laughs) Even before I started doing intentional changes, I heard from the congregation after my first Sunday preaching, I got an email on Monday that said, why did you stand where you did when you preached? The previous pastor stood here, literally no more than about eight feet from where I stood. Another email said, why did you not end your sermon with a prayer? I left that service just completely undone. It felt like the whole thing was incomplete. Somebody else said, why did you not lift the plates when you prayed for the offering? That was a real miss in my opinion. Now, I could have gotten defensive. I could have gotten into an email battle with people and go, well, here's the reason I did these things, and back and forth we would have gone. But I decided to approach it like a science project. What is this telling me about my congregation? 
And I just got to know people. I got to know what they did for a living, where they worked, what their work environment was like. I got to know some of the retirees in our church, why they moved there. Here's what I learned. My congregation was stressed out. They were living with a level of change unlike anything my previous congregation did. Everything about their world seemed to be changing every day. In their workplace, computers and technology was always on the change. Policies were changing. Some people said, Rob, every day I go to work, I don't know whether or not my company has been bought out and if I will have a job when I leave at 5 o'clock. Every day it's like that. The retirees said, you know, when we moved here, we thought it was going to be a very calm environment, a slow pace of life. When we go to the store and come home, it's just going to be an easy experience. No, it's not. Because of the population explosion in that area, it seemed like there was construction going on literally right next door and all around all the time. 20,000 people lived on this peninsula of Lake Norman serviced by one two-lane road that was under construction the entire time I lived there. When you left in the morning, if you waited until 7 a.m. to leave, it took you 45 minutes to go three miles. People were exhausted by change. And when they came to church on Sunday, they needed one place that was the same. One place where things weren't changing, that helped them connect to a God who says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you relate? This morning in this series, a little help here. We're thinking today about coping with change. I mean, we all do face change constantly change in our family structure, change in our living location, change in the things we have to go through to access a doctor, public services, on and on it can go. And the change can get exhausting. Now, what determines how we handle change is our personalities have a lot to do with that. If you're somebody who's a very structure and order person, you worship at the altar of predictability, change is not your friend. If you're somebody who's fairly spontaneous, if doing the same thing two times in a row gets you bored, then you're probably more welcome to change. But, but even then, even then we don't tend to stay the same. Why is that? Because we all change. <laughs> Our personalities change. How many of you look back decades ago in your life and say, gosh, I remember when I used to love the newest and latest thing that came out. I loved going with change, but boy, the older I get, the more I just need stability, the more I want things to stay the same. And then perhaps the biggest determiner as to how we face change is whether or not we choose it, whether or not it's forced upon us and is unwanted. So I want us to think about coping with change this morning from that perspective, how we face unwanted changes in our life. 
And I want us to think about our scripture reading this morning from the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. It's a letter. This part of the book of Jeremiah is a letter from the prophet to the exiles of Jerusalem. A defining but very destructive point in the history of Israel was their being taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. Jerusalem had been devastated and the citizens were led away as exiles to Babylon, which is modern-day Baghdad. Everything familiar was left behind. Their land, many of them separated from their families, their homes, and God. A A popular belief at this time was that the God of a people was limited to the land of that people. Now, that may seem very strange to us today. We talk so freely about the God of of all creation. It's just hard to believe that going to a different land might mean you are leaving your God behind. But I want you to think about it for a moment, how we might relate to that. I want you to think about what happens to you whenever you experience changes in the way you connect to God. Many of us perhaps say, well, worship is a big way I connect with God. What happens to your spiritual life when worship changes? When we change the time we worship? When we change the order of worship? When we change the way we share Holy Communion? What happens to you? Do you feel disconnected from God when even little things like that happen? If you can ever experience changes affecting your connection to God, then you know what Babylon is like. You understand what it's like to go to Babylon. And so imagine how astounding the message of Jeremiah was to the exiles. He wrote to a people who were perhaps praying, God, get me out of this place. Get me back to a place where I can prosper again. And instead, the prophet says, stay where you are. Take husbands and wives, marry, have children, pray for the welfare of that place. Because if it prospers, you will prosper. How hard would it have been to get that message when you are in an unwanted place of change? How difficult would it be to receive that word? Psychologists tell us that people don't really fear change, they fear loss. Because most change brings a loss of some kind. When there's a change that goes on in our lives, something we came to appreciate, maybe even needed or loved, is lost. And that's what we fear. We fear loss. 
And when we go through a loss, we have to grieve it. Now, we're going to talk more about grief next Sunday. But for right now, we need to think about the importance of going through a change and naming what we lose. And being able to grieve it so that we can embrace what the change brings. This is something I wish I would have learned so much earlier in my ministry that when a congregation experiences a significant change before they can just move on they have to be able to stop and recognize what they feel like is a loss so that they'll get to a place where they can embrace what the change might bring them so that What gets lost is not just a building. It's not just a tradition or a ritual. It's a connection to God. Now, God is not limited in the way God connects to us. We just don't always separate the two. But when we can name it, we get free to go forward and embrace what the change might offer us. Because every loss is an opportunity for some kind of gain. Let me go back to my last church I served. And the stress of the congregation when I went there. Charlotte, North Carolina lagged behind the rest of the nation during the housing crisis of 2008. What started for many people in 2007 hit Charlotte more in the spring of that year, right at the time I went there. Uh, People with huge mortgages, a lot of debt, who now experienced a reduction in income, some even losing their jobs, were experiencing a high loss of, of stress. Well, there was a woman in our church who had a personal recession that preceded most of the people in the community. Some years before, her husband lost his job and then suffered a major health crisis. They had to sell their mansion of a house and with their five children, move to a much, much smaller home. She had to learn all kinds of tricks for scrimping and saving money. So later, when she starts to hear other moms talk about how hard it is, how can they afford to make ends meet, she began to have classes in the church. She began to teach other moms about how to use grocery coupons. Now, I know this might sound silly, but most of those moms had never shopped with grocery coupons. Most of them did not cook. They went out to eat for all their meals. So she starts teaching them how to buy food and to cook healthy meals, how to use grocery coupons, learn which grocery stores have double and triple coupon days. Some of the the women started to say things like, wow, I mean, look how much money you can save. Why wasn't I doing this a long time ago? And then some of them began to say things like, you know, when I was a little girl, I would sit down with my mom on Sunday afternoon and we would take the inserts from the Sunday paper and we would cut and clip coupons together. And they remembered those as special times of connection. So they started doing this with their kids. They said, you know, when I was growing up, 
Sometimes we would cook a big meal purposely so that we could take some and share it with the neighbors next door so they didn't have to cook that night. And then other nights they would do the same and they would bring it to us. So they started going in their neighborhood to say, who wants to be a part of a community meal serve? You know what happened? Over the course of a year or two, a lot of families in that community began to say things like, you know, I don't want to go back to the way it used to be. Something special has kind of happened in our families and in our neighborhoods because of all that. I don't want to go back to eating meals at the country club and nitpicking whether the chicken was overdone. I don't want to go back there. I like this. I've learned a new value, a new appreciation for what I have. Change, even when it's unwanted, can bring a gain, can hold a gift. Are you going through an unwanted change in your life right now? Let me offer some questions that might shape or help how you face this time. Consider a few questions like, what have I really lost? Whatever loss this change has brought, what is that? Name it. Identify it. So that what you begin to realize is the change is not just a thing that has changed. It's something deeper. It's something more emotional. And when you claim that, you might be open for a new way to experience that being given. Another question, what opportunity can be found in this change? Maybe as you name the loss, not just the thing, the job, the people, the house, but what those blessings did for you, you might discover new ways they can be filled. And third, where can I see God in all this? How can I claim God's presence and blessing in this change I'm going through? Because no change is without God's blessing and provision. Now let me, let me twist this a little bit for a moment. And let's not just think about unwanted change that we have to face and see as different and it will always remain an unwanted change. I want us to think about the changes that should be wanted. The changes that should be welcomed in our lives. Because there are times when there is a loss and a pain that, that, that is much greater than a change that happens to us and that is something that stays the same. That sometimes the greatest pain we experience is that which never changes. Jeremiah, like all prophets in the Old Testament, were very clear with the people of Israel why the exile happened. They said two reasons. One was apostasy, their faithlessness to God. And the second reason was a result of their turning away from God. And that was injustice. Because they did not look to God first and foremost, they were not capable and sufficient to carry out God's will for their society. They overlooked the needs of the widows. They did not care for the homeless. They mistreated the foreigners who were in their company. 
And the prophet said, this is what happened to you. So when Jeremiah offered them a word of hope, in the generation to come, you're going to go home again. You're going to go back and live in your own houses with your own family. You're going to have your own vineyard. But don't go back to the way things used to be. Don't just go back to the way it was before. Make sure you change. Make sure things are different. Could that be a needed word for us today? That sometimes in our rush to just get back to where we used to be so that it's familiar and comfortable and we feel like we can prosper again, that what we need to think about is what change needs to happen in my life right now? What would God want to see different in me? Is it my attitude? Is it a habit? Is it the way I treat people? Is it the attention I give others? Is it my emphasis on things that are temporary and not permanent? Are there things that should change in me? And then, very clearly for Jeremiah, he would ask the people, what needs to change in the world around you? Because you have that power. Sometimes we don't make the changes we need until something happens we have no control over. Something that our first response to it is to dislike it because we're losing something. Something's being changed. But as we absorb it with the partnership of God, we begin to realize I have this power to make some change in my life that's going to improve me and I have this power to be God's change agent in the world around me. God gives me that. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we honor this weekend, was certainly a change agent. Once in Birmingham, Alabama, speaking out and standing with those who were protesting nonviolently, he was arrested, and while in prison, eight of the different Christian denominational clergy leaders spoke in a letter that went through the newspaper directed to Martin Luther King Jr. and to the black community. One of the writers of that letter was the United Methodist Bishop of Alabama. Their basic message to Dr. King was, be patient. Wait. Just slow down because change needs to happen at a rate where everyone will accept it. And then that's when our world can change. Sitting in prison, Dr. King wrote a response that, among many things, is simply a brilliant piece of literature. And part of what he wrote, he said, For years now we have heard the word wait. This wait almost always means never, for justice too long delayed is justice denied. We must see the need of having nonviolent initiators to create the kind of tension in society that will help men to rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. People like Dr. King were change agents who didn't wait 
who initiated and pushed for change. And as unwanted as it was, it gradually moved us to being people who recognize we have that potential and power to be in partnership with God Almighty in making changes that are needed. We have that. Would we have ever heard of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. if it weren't for Rosa Parks? A woman in Montgomery who refused to give up her seat in the whites-only section of a city bus? Would we have ever heard of Rosa Parks had it not been for a 15-year-old girl named Claudette Colvin? And if you're saying right now, who? You need to know the story of Claudette Colvin. One month before Rosa Parks gave up her seat, Claudette Colvin refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery City bus. The bus driver tried to tell her to move, and she wouldn't do it. So he stopped the bus, called for the police, who came on the bus, kicked her first, then dragged her off the bus to the police station where she was arrested. Later, as an adult, reflecting on this experience, she said, worried or not, I felt proud. I had stood up for our rights. I had done something not many adults would have done. Her pastor came to pick her up at the jail. And on the ride back, she remembers him saying to her, Claudette, I'm so proud of you. Everyone prays for freedom. We've all been praying and praying, but you're different. You want your answer the next morning. And I think you just brought the revolution to Montgomery. Would we have ever heard of some of the famous names of the civil rights movement were it not for a 15-year-old girl who just said, I knew this was the right thing to do. It reminds us that the greatest revolutions God brings into the world are through people like you and me. People God uses when we know that we know that we know down inside something needs to be done because it's right. God uses us. And God gives you and me that power to change. God gives us that power to change things in our lives. Right now, deep down, we know it needs to change. We know there's something inside that needs it. God gives you today that Holy Spirit power to do it. And God gives you the power to be an agent of change in the world because that's what God does. God is always transforming. God is forming and reforming. We believe this as Christians. That God wants to change us fully into the character of Jesus Christ. That means our whole lives should be constant change. Because we see life, our lives, getting better and better. 